Hello and welcome to episode five of the Making Money Simple podcast. On this episode, we're going to be talking about how to get on the property ladder as a first-time buyer. Today, I'm joined by my good friend Atu from at Savvy Wallet on the socials. How are you doing, Atu? Thank you for coming on, mate. I'm good, thank you. I'm good. How are you? How was your new year? Happy New Year. Not too bad. Obviously, it wasn't the best because of lockdown and everything, but it was as good as it could be. Hopefully, 2021 New Year is going to be slightly better. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, yeah, I, I know, like with lockdowns and things, we're not even too sure like when that's going to stop. But hopefully, hopefully we get a resolution soon with the vaccine yeah. coming out. Fingers crossed. But yeah, today, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about property and in particular, if you're a first time buyer, how to get on the property ladder. But even if you're not a first time buyer, hopefully you can still get some useful tips. I know personally, probably similar to you, Atu, that most of my audience is between 18 and 30 years old. So I imagine a lot of people are in the boat where they are a first-time buyer. So hopefully this podcast will be useful. But before we start discussing it, I like to start each podcast episode with a joke. Normally, it's a funny joke, but this is actually going to be a bit of a sad joke. And I wanted to sort of just show how hard it is at the moment for first-time buyers to get on the property ladder. And this is a joke. So from economicshelp.org, They've got a first-time buyer price to house to house price to earnings ratio. So in the nineties in London, you could get a house with three times your salary. So if you are earning an average salary in the UK at the moment of thirty k, you could then afford a house for ninety k. However, now it is ten times your salary, which is an absolute joke compared to how easy it was in the nineties. And the nor- in the nineties, it increased to about five times your salary. But as of 2010 onwards it's risen and as of 2017 um it, you need 10 times your salary in order to get on the house and ladder in london that's crazy what do, you make, what do you make of that pretty mad right yeah that is absolutely <laughs> insane like I, I mean to be fair i think we've always thought that like property prices have just gone absolutely crazy especially in london london is is ridiculous you almost can't even try to even look at like places where where you're actually from so i'm originally uh, like i grew up in mostly southeast london and i can not even dream about getting uh a property there i mean the new bills around the corner from where my parents live are like 700k which is crazy for two apartments so yeah it's mad i know i'm currently renting in stratford in east london i think there's some new builds in hackney wick which is quite a trendy and up-and-coming area. It's quite nice, actually. A few good bars around there. But I think the two beds are similarly about 500 to 700K. And if you think, you know, as a grad, you're going to be starting on maybe 30K. Um, and even even if you're earning 100K, you can't afford that unless you're buying with someone else, which is what we'll get into in a second. Um, but yeah, so that's the joke. I think next week we'll resume with hopefully a funny joke. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking people's hearts. Okay, so first, so we're going to talk about two main components, the deposit and the mortgage, and then have a bit of discussion on each of them. Also touching on lifetime ISAs and help to buy ISAs. So the first thing I'm going to ask you, Atu, was in terms of deposit then, what do you think for a first-time buyer is the optimum deposit percentage to have? I think if if it's possible, try and get 10% because um, you'll get a better deal, you have more lenders willing to lend to you i think even currently i think getting a 95 percent mortgage so that's basically you have a five percent deposit is becoming a little bit more difficult because of covid and the pandemic although i've been hearing that more lenders have started to um 
you know, lend at that at that level. But yeah, ten percent is ideal. I know it's it's a bit unaffordable. It's, it's going to take a bit of time. But if you can, ten percent is definitely better. If you can stretch a fifteen, amazing. But ten percent, I would say. Yeah, I agree with you personally. So I think the optimum is ten percent if you can manage to save up that much. But I actually spoke to a couple of mortgage brokers in November twenty twenty, yeah. and they both said to me that generally speaking, at the moment, obviously the mortgages available change all the time. But the currently, there's only really fifteen percent de- uh, deposits on the market. There are some ten percent deposits, but because of coronavirus and lenders being a bit stricter, you sort of have to be right place, right time, and it's better to budget and prepare yourself for a fifteen percent deposit. Yeah. So I agree, but I think ten percent is the optimum, and that's hard enough to save up in itself. Yeah. Um, but then that was two months ago, so a lot can change, and I imagine in twenty twenty one, a lot probably will change. But I, from what I've spoken to in my experience, the lenders want 15% now, wow. which leads me quite nice into my next question <laughs> in terms of how do you think you can best save up for the deposit? Um, I think, so what I did, right, for in terms oh, so, so you're on the property ladder already then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I bought... What did you do? What did I do? So I, I, okay, so I think when I first, I mean, I guess obviously you have to save some sort of money, right? Like to be on the property ladder, that, that goes without saying. But for me to even get to a stage where I was like, okay, knowing how much I need to save, the first thing I need to understand was like budgeting, right? So I think when I, I started saving from like my first job, let me be honest with you, that like I was living, I was on like 25k salary, it wasn't a lot, but I sort of had the conviction of, you know what, I want to try and save like nearly half of my salary to towards the property. And I always had in my idea that I was going to save around, you know, 30 about around 30, between 25 to 30k and uh, get a property within that pr- price range rather than you know trying to look for an area so it's more about what I could potentially afford so budgeting was the really most important thing for me and then once I understood like how much I need to sort of save every month um, I then started to look at like um, options of how to you know help myself um, you know build up more of a deposit so it helped to buy ice and all that stuff was out i think i only really heard about that because of um the radio and reading um the money saving experts website um, and just that's just because i got the emails sort of but i think i signed up to them by accident the, the monthly newsletter that he sends around yeah 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 exactly yeah no so yeah it's it, i don't know how i mean it's lucky for me to have signed up on that and then i um I, I got the help to buy ISA, but it was it was all right, you know, it was all right. And then I sort of like checked to see if there was any alternatives, and I stumbled upon the lifetime ISA. I was like, actually, this is much much better for me. I get like up to a grand every tax year. I've got a few years that I want to save money, and it's like free money as well. And I definitely hundred percent want to buy a house, so it was like a no brainer. So I had my help to buy ISA, and then I just transferred it to lifetime ISA. That helped me out in terms of you know getting some free money from the government. Um, I put some of my other money into a few investments. So I put it into the stock market. I also put it into peer-to-peer investments when it was a bit more viable. I got I got decent returns on them actually. I actually did a video about it, the shameless plug. But I did a, a YouTube channel. video about it on my YouTube channel. Yeah, about like how I how I saved you know twenty five. I didn't want to go like super deaf, but I just wanted to give people an overview of how it's possible to do it. It's just like, you just have to look for these things. These things, like, they they sound, sometimes they sound unachievable, but you know what it is? All it is is just spending a few 
I was after work looking into it. To be fair, that's what I did. Like I did that for like weeks and don't get me wrong, it's work, right? Yeah, you're having to learn something that you don't know. But it, it definitely helped me out a bit and it helped me get to, you know, being able to, to buy my property uh, nearly two years ago now. So, yeah. Oh, that's quality. Congrats for getting on a property ladder. I did want to touch on a couple of points. Firstly, in terms of the budget, I think that is a really good tip and something I'd written down. And I actually made an Instagram post on this a month or two ago. But the best thing is, particularly for a house deposit, but really for any major purchase, if you almost work backwards, yeah. so, you know, you've got a 200K house, you need a yeah. 10% deposit, so you need 20K. You currently have zero pounds. So if you say, okay, you want to have that in five years' time, you can essentially work yeah. out how much you need to save each month in order yeah. to hit that amount for your deposit. So I think having a budget and then essentially working out, obviously the more specific, the better, but even a rough amount, if you're like saving a few hundred pounds a month or something like that, it's better than doing nothing. But by working backwards and having that budget in place so you know exactly how much to save, that is probably the best way to go about it. And then that leads me into the whole help to buy ISA versus lifetime ISA. So on people that I've spoken to over time on Instagram, people generally seem more yeah. unaware of the lifetime ISA, although that is better, in my opinion, than the help to buy ISA. And I think you'd probably agree because you switched from help to buy to lifetime ISA. And to give people a quick like background, so with the help to buy ISA and lifetime ISAs, they're both ways to get free money in inverted commas, from the government. But the thing is with the help to buy ISA, the maximum amount of free money you can get is um, £3,000. Whereas with the lifetime ISA, you can get £1,000 every tax year for a number of years. So generally speaking, and I've got this from Martin Lewis, money-saving expert, but if you want to get on a property ladder very quickly within the next year, then the help to buy ISA is better. However, if you're not going to be getting on a property ladder for a number of years, which I imagine most people are probably in that situation, then the lifetime ISA is better because you can save £4,000 every single tax year, get a £1,000 top up, and then over three or four years, you're getting three or four grand from the government. They're essentially giving you 25% free to help you with the deposit. Um, So I personally prefer lifetime ISAs, and I have a lifetime ISA with the Nottingham. Um, I wanted to get your Mm. thoughts on that. I know you alluded to the fact that you switched to, from help to buy to lifetime ISA. But yeah, what was your thinking behind um, that? So yeah, I think it's exactly what you said. The help to buy ISA, I just felt like the three grand limit was just not enough. Plus, like you said, you could get more money. So I could get up to, I don't know, 15 to 20 grand if I decided to save for, you know, 15, 20 years. It felt better for me. Um, and I think the other aspect of it as well, I got the, you get the bonus straight away as well so it's in your account like i think a few months after rares with the help to buy isa i think you only get it once you start um house hunting and stuff like that so i'm building up interest with with this bonus so yeah there's just a a lot more benefits to it um compared to the help to buy isa and i think you can't even get the help to buy isa anymore as well lifetime isa is better i don't know why they had both of them in the in the first place and they don't advertise it. Let me be honest with you. Do you know the amount, amount of people, young people, that I've spoken to about a lifetime ISA and they're like, to me, what is that? All right, are you serious? A lot of people know neither of them, but a lot more people seem to know the help to buy ISA, yeah. even though that's not as good. Yeah, yeah. It's just not advertised by the government. I think they're, they're doing, you know, I'm not trying to bash them, but they're doing a terrible job, quite frankly. I mean, all they need to do is just a TV ad to say, this is how you can get onto the mortgage, go for a lifetime ISA. They, they can Okay, moving on to the next tip then. So this thing, I think, applies to both deposits and mortgages. So it's a good 
bridging point moving from deposit to mortgage. But literally, the best thing you can do in terms of both getting a bigger deposit and getting a mortgage is increasing your income. Because if you increase your income, you can save a lot more every single month, which essentially means you can get your deposit quicker. And if you increase your income, you can also borrow more for a mortgage. So generally speaking, as a rough rule of thumb, it depends on other factors. But you can normally borrow between four and five times your salary as a mortgage. So if you increase your income, whether that's through um, you know, getting a high paying job, and this is why personally I think it's good to go to university as a whole separate topic. But get a high paying get a high paying job, create other income streams, have a side hustle. If you can increase your income, you can save more every single month for a deposit and you can then get more, borrow more for a mortgage so you can afford yeah. uh, a bigger and nicer house. Um, um so yeah, I I I had to you know, to be able to afford where I am now, like my, I've increased my salary. Well, I moved jobs twice throughout, throughout my career, and yeah, I've had massive jumps in in my salary on on each one. And it's what exactly what you said in mind with the idea that actually I wanted to buy a house in the future. So you know, when people are moving jobs, I think what a lot of people don't realize is it's very strategic for a lot of people when they move jobs. They are moving with the intention of you know yeah. what. I want to be able to afford this level of a house or I want to be able to save more and invest or whatever. So yeah, I completely agree. Like it's, it's, it's a twofold thing, right? Like if you increase the salary, you can save more and you can have a, a bigger house if that's what you want, or you can have a smaller house and you pay less. So it's going to definitely be benefit beneficial to you, whether that's getting a promotion at, at work or if you're looking to move on and definitely be strategic with these things. Don't just go into like uh, a, new, a job interview and say, yeah, I want this. Like think about it, look on Glassdoor and find out and just see, understand what sort of life you want in the future. That's actually a great tip. I didn't think about it like that because I'm still on a grad scheme. So I'm still sort of new in the working world, but being strategic is definitely a good tip. It almost, for anyone listening, it almost sounds too obvious. You know, of course, yeah. everyone wants to earn more. But yeah. particularly as a first-time buyer, as it's so hard getting on a property ladder, it's getting, it's getting even harder. The best thing you can do is increase your income. Yeah. And then talking a bit about mortgages then, um, I've sort of got one more, I guess, tip in terms of how you can help to afford a mortgage. Obviously, mm-hmm. we've already gone through the deposit, and that is yeah. buying with someone else. So if you – I don't know how you did this, Atu, but I know if you buy – with a partner, you can essentially combine your salaries together and then that means you can borrow more. So if you're on a £30,000 salary, you can mm. say borrow between one hundred and twenty pounds to £150,000 as a rule of thumb. But if you have yeah. a partner who also earns thirty k, you can then double that. So that can once again help you get access to a nicer house, a larger house, a house in an area you'd rather live. Um, yeah. So if you, or, I mean, there are other ways. You can also buy with a friend or with a family <laughs> member, but... Yeah. generally probably wouldn't advise that just because someone might want to sell the other person might not want to it could get a bit messy you don't want to ruin the relationship but if you have a partner boyfriend girlfriend whoever it is and you're looking to settle down that can be another good way to combine your salaries to borrow more i don't know what you think of that and what approach you took um i, so I bought by, by myself completely by myself and uh, i completely agree with you that if you can do somebody especially if it's like a partner then that's definitely going to be beneficial to you i mean firstly you're going to like half the mortgage yeah. <laughs> <laughs> half the mortgage you're going to pay less buddy and yeah like, like ryan said you can um 
you can definitely pay, like, get a bigger house. Do you know what I did, right? It was not even really a hack, right? Because I had to sort of push my mortgage advisor. So basically, to afford my house, right, I was like, with all the other, like, mortgage, like, banks, right, I was, like, four grand short to get the house that I wanted. Right. So, like, um, so I just basically pushed my mortgage advisor, like, but what if I get a 35-year mortgage instead of a 25-year <laughs> It still work. And then they did the calculations, right, and it, and it worked. So you just have to, like, be, like, just try and do different sort of methods because normally the, the mortgage mortgage length is 25 years. Yeah. But when you're younger, you can get a 35-year mortgage, which means that, in in this sense, they were able to borrow me that little bit more. Yeah. Uh, but you know, obviously, the sacrifice being that the the mortgage length was was longer. So that's something else in consideration. It is different for different ages. If you're older, like say you're in your sixties, um, then they're not going to give you a twenty five year mortgage. They're going <laughs> to give you a ten or fifteen year mortgage, which may be more expensive. So yeah, there are there are ways definitely to to, you know, um, help you out. Definitely speak to a mortgage advisor. There's a lot that are yeah. good and free. You don't have to pay if you don't want to. And I'm not against paying either. If you find somebody good and you think, yeah, they're worth paying for for them, definitely. And they can save you a fortune. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. No, to be fair, they're not that expensive. I think yeah. they're about £500. Um, and if you for... use an independent one, they have access to a lot more products. They can get you, as you said, like a yeah. different length of term, the best exactly. provider, the best interest rate. And what you were saying there, yeah, it's sort of a trade-off between a longer in a longer period where you then have lower monthly repayments but then opportunity cost is you obviously pay it for longer and will probably end up paying more interest. So you've got to weigh it up. If you can make use of that money more in the short term, it's probably better doing the longer term op method because you have lower monthly repayments and in more disposable cash each month. Um, I just wanted to finish on one more quick thing. So we've gone through deposits and mortgages. And this is something I only found out about recently, a couple of months ago. But you can get, going back to the deposit quickly, you can get a gifted deposit. So if you're in a fortunate position where your parents or grandparents have some money, have some cash, they can actually um, gift you a deposit. I don't know how it works in practice because I've never gone through it. But first of all, I would say there's definitely no shame in borrowing um, <laughs> money with your parents to get on the property ladder because it is yeah. so difficult. And also, like putting yourself in a position of a parent, one of the from their point of view, where their whole generation was getting on a housing ladder was like the golden thing to do. If they can yeah. help you, even with a little bit of money, get on the housing ladder with your deposit, from their point of view, I would imagine, that's probably one of the best and most proudest things they could do for you. So there's definitely no shame if you're in a position where it might take you years to get a deposit or something to speak to your parents and grandparents and be open with them, let them know what yeah. you're trying to do and then see if they have any chance to give you a, or part or full gifted deposit help you speed up your path to get on the housing ladder. 100%. Yeah, I completely, completely agree with that. I actually did get a bit of help from my parents, actually, and I went through the gifted deposit process. So you have to, so with your lawyers, they, um, you have to fill in the form for it. Uh, and the reason why you fill in the form is just so that the money that you get means that it's just a gift and that they don't have no stake in your property right and that they want the money back or something like that like if, you know if something were to happen so you've got to go through all that and then you've got to provide all documentation for them because obviously you know fraud and all that sort of stuff how did they get the money proof of how they got the money all of that sort of yeah. stuff yeah that makes sense yeah, yeah. so it's quite interesting 
Um, so yeah, you've got to go through that with the lawyers and then obviously, you know, your mortgage advice and stuff like that. But yeah, it's a, it's a simple process, to be honest. It's not that, you know, it's not that. Um, that worked out perfectly. I had no idea. Got a bit of a on-hand practical experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, but yeah um, that probably wraps up the podcast there. Thank you for coming on. Uh, Thank you. Is there anything you'd like to plug here at the end? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I'm on Instagram uh, with Ryan as well. So I talk about personal finance quite a bit on Instagram. On YouTube, though, I focus mostly on investing. So I talk about a lot of, I guess I could call them innovative companies, so companies of the future. So I talk about that a lot on on my YouTube channel. So that's Savvy Wallet. And then I'm, this week I've been like talking about like companies daily, but normally I'm doing two to three videos a week. I'm also at on Twitter um, at Savvy Wallet One as well. So I talk about personal finance and investing on there too. Quality stuff. So definitely go and check out the boy, especially the YouTube channel, daily content. That's very hard to do. Absolutely massive. Very, but, um, yeah. yeah, thank you for coming on the podcast. I hope for everyone that's listening, especially if you're a first time buyer, has helped. Um, and yeah, thank you and have a good rest of your day. And thanks again for coming on, Atu. Really appreciate it, mate. Thanks a lot.